Hi, everybody. This is Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson, and I am the uh, Bishop of the North Georgia area of the United Methodist Church. Welcome to At the Table, and I'm very delighted to have as my guest Bishop Ken Carter, a good friend, a mentor, another bishop from the Florida Annual Conference. I served on his cabinet, and it was a wonderful time. Uh, but uh, I really thought uh, we've talked, and we really think that now's the time to apply the covenant prayer and to talk about the implications of the covenant prayer after watching the events at the Capitol on Wednesday. And um, Ken, you, you want to start this off at all? I, I, I did say um, when I looked at your statement to the Florida Annual Conference and, and the cabinet and I in North Georgia are going to be issuing our statement, but I wanted to, um, to ask you about the office of bishop and why you started out with that and why it's important. You know, why are we are we uniquely qualified or why do you even care what we say? And I think that's a good place to start. Right. Well, thanks Bishop Sue and thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, I have profound respect for Sue. Uh, I think I wanted to start with the role of Bishop by saying our speaking in this moment is not a deviation from what we've been called to do, but it's, it's at the core of what we've been called to do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm, I'm a native of Georgia, so I've had people in my own family say, now, Ken, remember you're a Christian. Ken, <laughs> remember you're a minister. And so, you know, we, we kind of have this conversation. I've really struggled, I would say, all fall with uh, our, the call to be a disciple and the call to be a citizen. Uh, and I would just say as a white Southern male follower of Jesus, it's been a luxury in my life to be able to separate those things because the, the, the system was always working for me. Uh, and so I could just say, well, I'm just going to stay in the spiritual sphere and I'm going to let other people work out the political side. Well, that's all well and good if you know your vote's going to be counted if you know you're going to have health insurance, if you know your child's going to be able to go to a good school. Uh, a, a, a kind of a black church minister told me along the way, he said, you know, in the black church, we never had that luxury mm. of separating those things out. And so I've really tried to, you know, you and I have talked a lot about uh, the guidance we've given to churches around COVID, which has been at odds with our state governments. Mm -hmm. But Ours was rooted in our love of neighbor uh, and the mission of the church. Uh, and so, you know, this week uh, through this kind of desecration and violence uh, uh, in, our, in our nation's capital, uh, to, be, to be silent just um, is kind of work avoidance and it doesn't serve the church and it leaves a vacuum. and you know, we both see the other people fill that vacuum. Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, uh, last year on social media, I posted something that was drawing some backlash. And, you know, I think both of us live in annual conferences where it's roughly 50, 50 right. Republican Democrat. And so, uh, you, you know, that you're going to be cast in a certain way or your words are going to be heard in a certain way. And it's, you know, uh, very hard to speak from the faith 
when folks are not accustomed to the church speaking, I, I, my focus is what would Jesus do? What is his direction to the church? And really, you know, I think it's equally ac- applicable to either, uh, to any political candidate, to any, any person with authority. But I had posted something on social media and then had drawn some attack and back and forth. And uh, there was a lovely post by a friend of mine, Wayne Elliott. Wayne was a uh, Method- United Methodist from Cape Coral, Florida, very conservative. And his, this is what he wrote. He wrote, you know, I have no doubt that if Sue and I sat down to dinner together and discussed this issue, we would come to a really great conclusion and we would live it out and we would leave friends. Mm-hmm. And that changed the whole nature and tenor. So I want to start with that um, because of what I really want to reflect on is um, the fruits of the spirit. I always go there, you know, that Jesus calls us. If you have the spirit of Jesus in you, you behave with love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, generosity, and self-control. And I can honestly say that very few of those things have been displayed this week or in the halls of Congress. And so I start with, uh, like Wayne said, how do we treat each other as beloved children of God who disagree? And the problem is, and I think this is this has been ratcheted up by Donald Trump. I'm just going to name it that when you mock or taunt or treat somebody else as lesser, when your language deteriorates, when you demonize the other side, and both sides do that. I mean, we just came through in Georgia. I've never been so grateful to have an election because I am so sick of the ads. I am so, but the ads are not, we are two parties who disagree on these issues. They are, it's us and them. I mean, to me, the most horrific ads are, we can't let this person get elected because they're not one of us. Now, I don't know what one of us means. The other thing was, if you watched all those ads in North Georgia, the world should have ended on Election Day. Right. The United States, instead of in the Capitol almost being gone, should have ended when one of those people was elected because the zero-sum game. If this person gets elected, it's the end of the United States. And when you ratchet up language like that, it builds and builds and builds in anger. I mean, when the, when the odds are that high, when we don't disagree on a statement anymore, if you're the Antichrist and if I treat you, you know, then the stakes are high. And so I think the first thing we do is we are all called to repentance. We are all called to assess ourselves and our language and how we treat each other. And I'm sorry if any United Methodist, if any person has ever used the words snowflake or libtard or fascist or bigot, or you know the language that's used to describe each side, we're complicit in this. Because Mm -hmm. this kind of of ratcheting it up, this kind of zero-sum game, this kind of I don't see you as human, this, you know, um, and, and, I, and I really do see a lot of those folks. And, and I guess if I'm trying to be charitable like Jesus, which, which is very hard to do, but if I'm watching those folks, I think they've been sold a bill of goods. Yeah, 
They've been sold a lot of lies. They've been sold a lot of, you know, the world depends on you and you've been wrong. And if you hear that enough, you're going to live into it. And we've created an environment. And sadly, the church is also an environment where that kind of language takes on a life of its own. And, and if you want me to quote Bible, let's go to James. The tongue is a fire. Right. It, sets off, it sets off a wildfire and the destruction takes us to hell. And right. Be close. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're reflecting on the events of the week, and that's a very helpful kind of entree into, you know, into all of this. Uh, I've tried to, as often as possible, use, use, you know, my own experience this is this is how I see it and and also to clearly say you know this is also my own struggle mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know this is my own sinfulness that's the repentance piece uh, I think some of this is and you can do this like you talked about in relationship uh, Brian Stevenson talks about proximity mm -hmm. you know being in proximity to other the other person. Uh, allowing the other person to narrate their story, mm. you know, that, that allowing the other person to narrate their story, as long as it is not at the, at your expense mm -hmm. or to your harm. And to me to violate another person because of my story and because of the way I've narrated them, it's just morally evil. Mm -hmm. It's dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. It's destructive. Well, that's what we saw this this week. We saw right. destruction, uh, and we saw violation. And uh, there's there's just no way around it. And it was incited. It was incited by it's rhetoric. Orchestrated for months. For orchestrated. Months. And you mentioned, uh, you know, there there was a there was a a book I read in graduate school called Metaphors We Live By. Mm. And it was about how the metaphors we use shapes our behavior. And so mm -hmm. culture wars, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's what you're saying. It's it's kind of a, these, these are wars rather than disagreements, mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, and so how can we do that? That's hard in a pandemic because we can't sit down. Right at a restaurant and eat barbecue or go to someplace and drink coffee or a glass of wine. I mean, it's just, it's just, mm -hmm. just hard to do that. And right. so, so with everything in digital media, you know, these kind of conspiracy theories flourish, you know, these falsehoods flourish. Mm -hmm. It's a cold form of communication, right. you know, just to see something on a screen. Uh, and so you know, sadly, that's just where we are at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yet that's, that's the part of the church. I mean, I remember years ago, this must have been in the late 90s, I was a minister in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and a really articulate member of the church I was serving says, why is it that white Christians vote for one party and black Christians for another party? What is that about? What's the most important thing here? And, and so how can I listen underneath the positions to hear the, you know, the values? We may disagree about how to get to a place where everyone can flourish, but, you know, we don't have to do violence to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think what horrified me this week was 
just the ramping up of the level of, let's just call it domestic violence. And I would say domestic terrorism. Yeah. We see this in other countries with people who don't look like us who commit these same acts, you know, and so to be people of peace, you mentioned the fruit of the spirit. That's not like, let's be nice. No. You know, let's, uh, live in our silo it's to try to be a person of peace in a pretty violent world uh and that that infiltrates of course the political space and and the church Mm -hmm. yeah well and really at the heart of this to embody jesus means as paul says in ephesians that we are agents of reconciliation, that we are constantly working toward reconciliation right. and unity. So I have to, if I find myself at the door of the Capitol with weapons, wonder, I, I can't, if I'm going to do that, I need to lay the Jesus flag elsewhere. Right? That, right. that just doesn't do it. I have to say that the most, as I watched in horror and in tears, I mean, mm-hmm. um, still mm-hmm. devastating, but um what really got to me is I, I had three messages that I'll forever cherish. One from a friend in Brazil, one from uh, the bishop, the United Methodist Bishop, Rosemary Venner in Germany, mm-hmm. and, and uh, one from a Palestinian Christian woman I'd had dinner with in Bethlehem. And all three wrote and said, we are praying for you. We are praying for your country because we know all too well Right. Where this leads and yeah. what this means. And, right. you know, that it was powerful. Uh, the other thing is you as you were talking about, um, uh, you know, one book that really uh, I continue to go back to is Walter Wink's Engaging the Powers. Mm-hmm. And he talks in there about our, what we worship. And it's not Jesus. We worship a dualism. We worship good versus evil. And, you know, he said, that's how all the Westerns are written, right? You always know who the good guys are because they wear the white hats. And you always know the bad guys are because they wear the black hats. And so uh, when you have somebody who wants power, they paint you as the white hats and they as the black hats. And then you go at it. That's the history of the human race, right? The, The problem is there's no nuance in that. Right. There's no acknowledgement that none of us has is fully qualified to wear the white hat or the black hat. That I am, I am sinful. I am complicit. I don't see the world clearly, and that um, I make the wrong calls a lot of times with the black hats and the white hats. And so, uh, a lot of the language too that needs to be checked is just the. And we can look at COVID. I mean, there was no. It was either, and this is the polarization. You either have lockdown or uh, you wear, you don't wear a mask and you go about your life as usual, right? Those were the two political extremes. Right, right. And what we needed was nuance. And that's what the church tried to do. Look, you can, we don't have to lock you down, but if you aren't locked down, these are what the things you have to do. And it can go to anything, gun rights. It's either we have to carry our AK-47s, we have to have any kind of weapon, or you're going to take our weapons away from us, right? Those are the two. Well, let's have some nuance. But I think every major issue, uh, be leery of folks who paint a dualistic picture. 
and paint those who disagree with them as um, ungodly. Oh, that's a good one. Or, or uh, un, un-American. That's the next big one. But mm-hmm. man, when you start painting it that way, mm-hmm. no wonder it comes to violence. It's headed that way from the minute you do that. Yeah, that, in listening, there's a great uh, line. I think it was Solzhenitsyn, uh, the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. Exactly. And, exactly. And you know, that's, that's true. And, you know, I would say, you know, to, to stay with politics for a moment, I mean, I've, um, you know, I've been voting since I was maybe in my early 20s. You know, that's been that's been 40 years. And I'd say I've lost more than I've won, Hmm. you know, and, and I've been pretty uh, passionate about some of those votes. Uh, Some people I've known who I've just really respected, you know, were not elected, uh, but, but life goes on, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I think uh, I know in the St. Louis General Conference, you know, I remember having dinner with some folks after that, and I was pretty um, disappointed in what happened in St. Louis for, for just for a lot of people I knew. And someone who was a young clergy who I really respect just kind of said, well, you know, tomorrow I'm just going to wake up and continue my work, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that life goes on. And, mm-hmm. and we just try to, um, you know, we try to do our part. Uh, I think, um, you know, it's a, you and I were talking earlier, it's just a difficult, I mean, anyone listening to this, we're just all trying to make sense of what has happened and how to be followers of Jesus who don't avoid the public space, who aren't silent about the public space, who have some humility, but, you know, kind of a convicted humility as a a, a term I heard along the way that, you know, we can have convictions and I can say, uh, you know, I can have some humility about this. I can have, I can name some complicity about this, but I can also name some things that are just never right. Yeah. You know, and, and I have a lot of privilege, um, a lot of protection from some things. Some people don't have that kind of privilege or protection mm-hmm. and people who were in your role and my role, you know, we, we do have to speak for them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you do. And, and so we have to speak for them. And so I, you know, I told, I told someone, uh, we did a lot of speaking and working in Florida about the right to vote, you know, this fall. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we ran full page ads in every major Florida newspaper, my speaking with the AME Bishop, Adam Richardson. And, and someone wrote me and told me how bad that felt, you know, as a, as a United Methodist and kind of in a very, I tried to be a very, in a very nice way. I tried to say, you know, I want to, I want to empathize with what you're saying to me, but I I need to say I have greater empathy for the person who gets prevented from voting. Mm -hmm. Right. And, 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 and so I think um, 
that's that's the balance of the you know we're talking about the priestly ministry and the prophetic right. ministry right you, know, you and i we serve and we lead pastors who really are on the front lines of oh this. god love them they've had a horrible time of it yeah where they you know i mean i had a, had coffee this morning with a minister who serves one of our very most progressive churches and she said you know the stereotype of our church is that this is all who we are she said we're we're not red or blue we're purple i love yeah. that language yeah. Yeah. of jen styles williams and I, I love the way you know we are purple and um and yet there are just some values that kind of boil over this week right that uh it's just good for us to name it i tried to say in some reflection I was trying to avoid the just the trivializing of let's pray, let's unite in prayer. Yeah, I believe in prayer, absolutely. But but prayer is staying with these horrific images, mm-hmm. and it's not avoiding them. You know, right. staying with these images of desecration, of violence, of fear, and letting that shape our prayers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's really what the Psalms are. You know, the Psalms are messy and the Psalms are all about enemies and they're all about violence and fear. And, and maybe this is a time where we're going to mature, you know, Mm -hmm. in some ways. And not that that justifies it, but God uses it to mature our church. Well, I think, too, there are some things we can be clear on. You know, we can be clear on. I wrote after Charlottesville, you cannot be a white supremacist and a Christian. Right. Those symbols do not go together. Right. Uh, The guy, the guy wearing the Camp Auschwitz shirt, the (laughs) Confederate flag, the, you know, you cannot be a white supremacist and a Christian. I think we can that's a line in the sand. You cannot be a Christian and suppress votes, right? I mean, if anything, Jesus tells us that every human being that is valued and a culture, if you're going to call yourself a Christian nation, which I really, you know, that's that's up for debate right now because we're not acting that way, uh, that we don't have public discourse that way. But um, you know, it was interesting to me. Uh, I, I did work at the polls. I did, was a poll watcher and uh, voter suppression. If you have to wait 30 minutes, more than 30 minutes to vote, that's voter suppression. I learned a lot about how how it is usually very innocent looking and very wow. and, and also a very different experience. Uh, when you live in where I live in Roswell and from, you know, downtown Atlanta, and we're working on that because everybody and and it's wrong to deny people their voice. Right. Uh, you right. know, it's wrong. Um, I think it's wrong to to live in the realm of conspiracy theories. Right. Um, and I thought I'm going to recommend and I'll have civil our communications person post if we could uh, have for everybody Al Tompkins teachings on how to how to gauge what is real media what is you know where is fantasy land and and the horrors of the future right his his talk about how in the future any photo can be doctored will be doctored in a way that you cannot tell if it's been doctored i mean it's going to get harder 
in this Perfect. age of technology than easier. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to, to have a broad reading and a broad viewing, to not have your whole world shaped by one network or one publication or one website, because there is a lot of, of you can have before you know it, your whole world is created and mm -hmm. you don't realize you're living in an echo chamber and there's no reality there. Um, other thoughts. I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, things that we can clearly state. I think people are looking for guidance, uh, but I think conversation and, you know, I'm, I'm still frustrated at people who post very racist comments and and they they're like, oh, this isn't racist. And then you look at all of their friends and they don't have a person of color in their friend list. If you're not right. talking to black and brown people, right. you don't you don't get it. So. Right. Right. You know, I, I think the I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, this week uh, I, I just decided the morning after Wednesday, I would I would just post a, in a a response and like mm -hmm. 7,000 people watched it. Yeah. It's not about numbers, but I remembered someone said along the way, adults learn in order to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, clergy go to the problem clergy try to solve in seminary is how to get ordained, you know, so that's, <laughs> yeah. so that they're, they're, so they do that for three years. But generally we, you know, a lot of people are watching YouTube videos about how to cook things and yeah. fix things and how to garden. I got to learn how to crochet this week. Yeah. That's my, so, so, you know, why? So I took that. It's not me. What is it about 7,000 views and people are trying i think our conversation people are trying to solve this problem now some people are they're just not listening to me i get that right right listening to me that's okay but a lot of people are trying to solve the problem of what's going on in our world and how does that relate to our faith mm -hmm. and to me i think you know the quadrilateral is something we, we learned about that in seminary. We could articulate it through a board of ordained ministry. And, and then we don't talk a lot about it, but you know, we, we, we clearly have the scripture, right. You know, Creating the image of God this week and our yesterday, uh, Baptism of reconciliation, of yeah, reconciliation, fruit of the spirit. Yeah. You know, you can build a, a scriptural framework tradition clearly john wesley francis asbury you read their writings this this was an this was an anti-slavery church along the way we we backslid mm -hmm. you know but but that's our tradition and then reason and experience and you know get into the work you talk about with al tompkins of the pointer institute about using our minds mm -hmm. uh about you know, using our minds and relating, you know, worldviews and conspiracy theories and and then experience, I think, is, you know, listening to our black and brown siblings and um, and, you know, asking them, what do you hear in this? And they will right. tell us they will say, you know, I watched that video and I thought, wow, that would not be the same law enforcement response, you know, if, yeah. 
if it was me. I think everybody's had that reaction. And, and that's just that. And so it's it's how you know it's how we can be more mature disciples. And that's I feel like that's kind of my calling. That's why you're doing this conversation. I think you know we're clearly in this liminal space of COVID and right political polarization and you know, economic stress and, and the constraint of how can we emerge on the other side of this? You know, we, the world will not look the same. The church will not look the same. How can we mature through this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so for me, I think it's trying to find a more real language about what's going on. I'm not trying to please everyone. Mm -hmm. There's no language that will please everyone. But just to say, you know, we have, at the moment, we have, um, you know, we are reckoning with four centuries of slavery, mm -hmm. you know, and we are, you know, living through a pandemic that has surfaced these inequities of healthcare, yeah. you know, and on and on. Mm -hmm. And, and so we had this attractional church, you know, and clearly the attractional church hasn't worked, mm. you know, in a pandemic We're so we're having to go back to very basic things like our text, you know, right. and our disciplines. Right. And, and reading the signs of the times. I mean, I, as I listened to you at the start of our conversation, this is reading the signs of the times. Mm -hmm. What does it say to us? Right. It's not like, don't talk about politics, preacher. It's we're called to read the signs of the times. And if we don't, who will? Someone will. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, in our Methodist heritage, I mean, I love the early Methodists. They they were in the middle of it. You know, it's not a mistake. How many times have you heard about hospitals in different cities in the country and it's Methodist hospital? Mm -hmm. That Methodist, we care about having shalom, the wholeness of a human being, all human beings. Right. You know, that they are healthy, that they are educated, that they are concerned, that there's something beyond themselves that they're concerned about, uh, mm -hmm. that they are engaged in hearing and listening. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the, in the worst parts of the city and right. in the worst parts of the country and trying mm -hmm. to figure out how are we Christ in the midst of this? And to me, that's what faith is all about, that, right. uh, that you know, I, and when we pray the covenant prayer, I am no longer mine, but thine. That's the turning over. I'm turning over life so that I don't live it just for my benefit. Mm -hmm. So that I'm looking for as Jesus did. I mean, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus was always noticing the people on the periphery. And always, and man, those disciples just didn't want to go there, but he kept dragging them. And mm -hmm. then in Acts, the amazing wonder that they are going to the periphery all over the world. And so um, I, I think that uh, it's about a transformation and a change of identity. Mm -hmm. And that this is the natural outgrowth of it. And, you know, I did have a kind of uh, epiphany since we're, you know, early January. But <laughs> I was reading, uh, started with Genesis. I was reading Genesis. And that, you know, after Cain kills Abel, 
when he's having the conversation with God and he says, am I my brother's keeper? And I thought, you know what? That's the heart of the Bible. That Mm -hmm. starts it off in the whole Bible. Yes, 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 yes. And so when we reflect on this week, we have to think, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Am I, am I, um, intimately connected with every other human being? Yes. Uh, I, somebody just quoted the Martin Luther King, you know, we are all, we are all held together and whatever injustice one of us faces, we all face. And Paul goes into that when, you know, that's the heart of the Christian community. We all suffer together. We all are joyful together and there's not a solo dog Christianity. And so this is at the heart of who we are and Mm -hmm. engagement is the full expression of that. And, you know, God, God does, God loves the world too much to not have it, have Mm -hmm. people in it at work to transform it. Right. You know, that's our, I think that's our connection you know, as as United Methodist, uh, it's not so much a hierarchical, bureaucratic connection as it is uh, vertical, as it is kind of a horizontal. The web. I think that's a good image. Web, and that we're not in it alone, and that we're here to support each other, and uh, I think draw strength from each other. Um, be challenged by each other. Mm-hmm. I think the, you know, I thought about the phrases, uh, put me to what you wilt, uh, rank me with whom you wilt. wilt. Yeah. And to me, the put me with whom you wilt is just this moment. And it's this work, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I mean, I think, I think if, if I had ever thought much about what being a bishop would be like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it would be nothing like what I've experienced, you know, with the commission on the way forward and the Pulse murders and the Trayvon Martin murder and the Parkland murders and, 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 and like an experience this week, uh, Hurricane Irma, you you know, just the riots in Atlanta. I mean, we could have our own litany up here of things. You know, yeah. and it's sort of like uh, the put me to what you wilt. And you know, a person I really respect said, you know, you know, Ken in social media, you used to, you know, it was just fun. You'd talk about the Braves. I mean, I'm a native Georgian. I'm embracing. You talk about the Braves, Duke basketball, food, concerts, and now it's just. It just seems like it's just always serious. And I said to him, you know, it's it's heavy. I mean, this is a heavy time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a clergy die of COVID this week. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a heavy time. And, you know, four people died in, in this capital, U.S. capital, you know, takeover. Yeah. And it's a heavy time. And uh, it is, and it, and there's a heaviness in local churches with the mental health strain on clergy. And the lady. And and, and so the put me to what you wilt, I mean, this is just the time I'm I'm no longer mine. I'm no longer mine. I'm called, all of us are called into this public sphere to be a part of God's love for the world. And, you know, I would really love to just 
yeah. do my own ends and do my uh, own thing. And I did that until I was 28 years old yeah. and I was miserable. So yeah. good luck with yeah. that. But yeah. this is where I think the meaning of life, right. the call on our lives, the transformation. I mean, the, the, and what it boils down to, I think, is to meet Christ, you have to go out into these places. Yeah, yeah. That's where he is. That's, mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, you know, um, I, I am grateful that we are not alone, that we have companions on the journey like you. I'm grateful that we have a Holy Spirit to Amen. comfort us yep. and direct us and teach us. And I'm really grateful for our connection because we need, it's all hands on deck, right? Yep. It's, yep. We need every single person mm. to be part of the solution to right. the great rifts. And if you'll just, you know, for today, start with your language, mm -hmm. start with your media posts, start with <laughs> you know, right. demonizing the other, yeah. start with, recognizing Christ in one another. And I'm going to close, um, and I'm trying to remember where I heard this. It's an ancient story about a rabbi. Tell me if you've heard this, because I've been in so many settings, but it's about a um, rabbi and a priest, and the priest is a, a monk, and he's, he's disgusted with his community because mm -hmm. they aren't getting along. I mean, can you imagine being locked in with the same people your whole life? And uh, so he goes to the rabbi because the rabbi is supposed to give him deep spiritual answers. And the rabbi goes to the rabbi and the rabbi really doesn't have any answer for him. So he's a little frustrated as he's about to leave. The rabbi said, you know what? The only thing I have for you is I, I hear that the Messiah lives among you. Mm -hmm. So the priest went back to the monastery and he, started looking around and he, and he started listening and hearing his brothers differently. And, and he thought, I wonder if he's the one, mm -hmm. I wonder if, if he's the one mm -hmm. yeah. and their whole community was transformed yeah. Yeah. because instead of looking for uh, the awful, mm -hmm. the annoying, the different, mm -hmm. he started looking for the Messiah. So maybe, maybe just maybe, if we mm -hmm. start looking for the Messiah in each other, yeah. we can save the world. That's so great. let's, That's... let's leave with that. I thank you, my friend. I appreciate this time together appreciate you. And, uh, yeah. and we'll sally forth and, right. uh, and, yeah, and, uh, you know, feel renewed in our call and know that Christ is out there waiting for us and will lead us and inform us. So thanks yeah. again. I appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Blessings. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.